0: You're listening to Recovery Survey, the podcast that shatters stigmas around different types of addictions and takes a deep dive into spiritual principles.
1: And so, as you began to use these substances that in the moment were managing what you didn't understand very well, you were creating a whole nother issue for
0: yourself. My guest today is named Brian Wall. He is a mental health and addiction specialist. Welcome to the show.
1: Hey, thanks for having me, Brett. I appreciate your time, man.
0: Excited to have you on, Brian. Welcome.
1: Yeah. So I feel like I've got a pretty crazy story and I feel like it's one that can benefit many and something, um, you know, I wanted to share. So I appreciate you reaching out and allowing me to do so. Um, we talked a little bit yesterday about just what to share and there's so much and it's so crazy how God makes it, you know, whatever your belief system is, I believe in God and he does his thing and he moves in ways that we can't comprehend sometimes and certainly very difficult to summarize in a <laughs> in a 15 minute testimony or whatever, you know, church terms you want to put it in. But um, I, I jotted some notes down that I wanted to share in hopes that that will maybe resonate with someone. So I was originally born and raised in North Carolina uh, in a Christian home, two stable parents. They're still together today, actually, and um they taught me and my older brother honesty and hard work and love and respect and all those good things about treating people equally and you know it was really interesting because when I was growing up, I can remember uh one of the odd things about our family was we talked often about uh sex and other taboo topics within boundaries, of course, um <laughs> during dinner, and it was not unheard of for. Um, us to do that, even with, with guests, over, you know, like my friends and stuff over. Certain guests, obviously, we knew like, well, we probably shouldn't talk about it in front of my dad's boss, right? So <laughs> some of that we didn't do, but it was kind of a, a an interesting uh, characteristic of my family system and one that I embraced and really thought was cool. Um, we've always been really open uh, with each other and valued transparency. And as we talked yesterday, I was thinking back on how my family system and upbringing Relates to uh, my addiction, you know, in recovery now, obviously, but how it began and what fueled it and all those sort of things. And I know that addiction is oftentimes fueled by unresolved trauma. So um, I was thinking back and remember almost losing my brother, my older brother, actually, to a bad car accident when I was about 10 years old. And he was crossing a a busy street one summer afternoon and was hit by a car, uh, driven actually by an older man returning from a funeral, oddly enough. Um, And his recovery, lasted for months and in the hospital and at home, I was taking care of him. And it included me staying with a close neighbor for about a week. And I remember feeling just lost as I could be and floating through days, but yet trusting that my parents did this for a reason. And there was, um, this was going somewhere, even though I didn't have all the pieces and I'd only be able to to speak with them for uh, periodic updates during the evenings. And Throughout the time that I was with the neighbors, and uh, it was definitely a near-death experience for my brother, um, and it included a lot of conversations with angels in his hospital room and otherwise, which he would later share with everybody once he was a bit older. But thankfully, he's still with us and doing well with a family of four in North Carolina himself. So, um, a couple years afterwards, um, we were residing, uh, residing uh, our our house at the time, and. I stepped on a stray nail, which entered my heel, uh, my right heel and my my foot and chipped a bone. And I got pseudomonas and osteomyelitis and real bad bacteria, which uh, began gangrene actually in my, my right leg and almost led to having my leg amputated. My, my parents and the doctors got together and were able to find this Filipino orthopedist who they contacted and flew in. And after five surgeries, he was able to save my leg, but I spent about three months in the hospital and countless months afterwards at home, unable to return to school, but it actually ended up being recognized as who's who among middle school students that year, which I had never even heard of and thought that was the coolest thing ever (laughs) to go through all those struggles. And for someone to give you a pat on the back, that felt really great and probably started some of my performance-based behaviors uh, in in gaining approval from others. But um, the following year, I actually that, you know, I'd recovered from the injury and the following year I got mononucleosis. So again, was unable to attend school regularly. And I thankfully always did well academically. So it didn't kill me too much on the the grade side. And I was still early on in my education, you know, being young and all. so. It didn't kill me too much there, but was very much a, a spiritual um, a weight on me for those two years going through that that trauma for myself. And I know that that affected development as well. But amongst all that chaos that was going on, I was actually swimming competitively with what would be considered, I guess now a, a travel team and was actually realizing I had quite a gift for swimming. I was really good at it. It was a natural, as they say, and uh when I was very young, I was, you know, a lot of the parents had their kids in competitive swim leagues and would always make comments about, wow, you should really get Brian in into swimming. And I, I pursued that around seven years old, I think, and and it quickly grew to um a very competitive, uh, very regimented schedule of practices and weightlifting and things like that twice a day, every day, and ended up doing that for approximately 15 years. It led to me earning a scholarship at a division one. Uh, NCAA Division One school, which was pretty cool. And uh, at one point, I was within tenths of a second from Olympic trial cuts in a couple of events. And you guessed it, my addiction stopped that process real quick. So unfortunately, um, it started with me being introduced to marijuana and mushrooms by my best friend, actually, at the time in high school. And the struggle with addiction in my life was ignited at that point. Um, once I arrived in, at college, I quickly... Explored everything I could socially and was quickly introduced by cocaine again by very close friends. Um, I resisted using it at first because at the time, you know, I was coming out of a Miami Vice uh, age and I recall a lot of those programmings that I saw. So I was really, uh, I was really fearful of like what might come of this uh, if I actually did a line of cocaine. And, and I wish I had never done that first line. But I did and absolutely fell in love with the control and the clarity that I obviously naively thought that it gave me. Um, my relationship with Coke from that point inevitably in- introduced me to so many other negative influences and like minded people in all the wrong ways, which I absolutely pursued to the nth degree and eventually lost my scholarship after my junior year in college due to really not being able to manage two facades, you know, being an athlete and then being the social uh, butterfly that I was seeking out to be and feeling that I had control of that process. But now looking back, realizing the addiction really had control of every move I made. I ended up losing my scholarship and returning home to only delve deeper, honestly, into my addiction and anything or anybody that would fuel it. I was in and out of jobs stayed pretty consistent within the restaurant fine dining industry which i loved uh, because it actually offered me a pretty cool opportunity every time i had folks come in i was able to be whoever i wanted to be for any given table and being this guy that was so lost i now you know looking back it's like wow you've got great acting abilities no i was so incredibly lost i was going out of my way to pursue any opportunity i could get to find what the next step was in my life and this was really playing into that. So my journey eventually led to a raging addiction and suicidal thoughts that also became incredibly unmanageable. Uh, I, I just couldn't get up each day and continue through knowing what I was dealing with and knowing it was exponentially multiplying out of my control. I wrote a goodbye letter to my parents, and before a moment of clarity, actually, when I contacted my psychiatrist at the time and arranged for a meeting for me to go to a local psych hospital for admission. I spent two weeks there inpatient and was released on my 24th birthday, which now being in the field, I realize is an absolutely ridiculous idea. And I can't believe uh, they released me on that date. But I remember campaigning a bit for that to happen. And I look back and realize how manipulative I was and how incredibly influential you know my 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 personality was in all the wrong ways and it actually set me up for another fall because i immediately returned to using because i hadn't really truly addressed any of the foundational triggers in my um of my use uh internally really um oddly enough i actually ended up afterwards uh, years later returning to that hospital to work as a um, behavioral health tech and then i moved to their admissions department and worked as an administrative assistant While I was finishing up my master's degree, and then ended up working with them as a crisis counselor, and then later as a business development rep and their mobile crisis team lead. And so it's amazing how God works and turns all things for his good. And that's certainly the case in this situation. So, shortly after my relapse from being released from that hospital, I was back living a life of active addiction and collided with my previous wife. We were engaged within six months and married within a year. Um, We faced our struggles, as all couples do. Unlike some, we tackled them together and and did that for almost 14 years. Uh, Shortly after we married in 2000, I completed my master's in counseling psychology. We moved to the the Dominican Republic to serve as missionaries at a residential treatment facility for troubled teens and uh, did so as house parents initially. And then I transition into the counseling department and became their counseling department head where I completed all my licensing requirements for my LPC, licensed professional counselor in North Carolina. But ultimately, we were able to serve there for four years, and it was by far the most spiritually influential time of my life. It stretched me in ways I did not know were possible. It had a major impact on the man that I am today, and I am forever grateful for that experience and I know it plays a part in my story. Um, We actually, after being there for almost four years, had to return to the U.S. in 2009 after my first daughter's birth there actually. My wife was having some medical difficulties, some concerns and we wanted to explore those. So we came back to the U.S. for more advanced medical care and uh, later discovered that she had cervical cancer which was followed by a four-year battle a story in itself um, before she passed in September. 2013. It was during that time that I had to resign from my job. We lost our home to foreclosure. We all moved into a one-bedroom space in my parents' house, which already they already had a small home anyway. They're both retired, and uh, we stayed there until her death. And all while my addiction had been reignited with this chaos that was that was happening in my life, and gained even a, a stronger hold on whatever was left of my soul. Honestly, from the experiences I had before and being refueled by my time in the Dominican Republic, I was just getting to a place where I was ready to launch on a new scale, really, without addiction in my life. And uh, her death, her, her struggle with cancer absolutely reignited the addiction because I was convinced that it was what I needed to get through. Following her death, I was actually reunited with a friend crazy things in my life completely circle, you know, just come back around in a circle. And it's, it's mind boggling when I look back and see the connections that God made along the way, only to resurface those in a time when I needed them the most. And um, this was very similar to that, none different than the times before I, I ran back into a friend of my wife's from the ministry in the Dominican Republic, and we were married by the end of the year. We both now recognize we were playing a, a savior complex type role for each other to the extent that uh, I was a single parent and had just lost my wife of almost 14 years. And she, um, my wife now, had actually just been in a really bad car accident that left her with a traumatic brain injury and a long road to recover that to recovery that we still are venturing on today, I guess you could say. It's an everyday, daily support uh, effort from each other to get get us what we need to, to be what, what we've been called to be. So um, that's part of our journey, and we've embraced that. Despite all of the naysayers after my wife's death did the unknown to get married so quickly and in a situation that I just described that it seemed to introduce chaos into chaos, and um, even to exacerbate all that, we ended up moving to Central America uh, within six months or so, if I remember correctly, Um, My previous wife's dying, one of her dying wishes was to raise our daughter in a Latin American culture, and we really embraced that in the Dominican Republic. So I made an effort to do that. We were in areas of Panama and Costa Rica for almost a year until we came back to the States uh, due to just not being able to establish a reliable income stream, to be honest. It was a tourist area and really difficult to establish a a normal professional uh, life income, that sort of thing that, that we would know here in the U.S. So we eventually came back to the U.S., moved to Michigan in about 2015 to use a, a much larger support system that was my wife's family. She's one of six siblings, so it was very um, inviting for us at the time. We needed that support, and we're still in Michigan today. It's Honestly, been a forty years in the desert experience for me in many ways uh, because with the grieving process still not completed, my wife's uh, traumatic brain injury, being in a new location, dealing with a new family that wasn't mine, and an addiction that had convinced me it was my best support and transition. What was bad got even worse. I had landed this great job. Um, there were there were times from the point we got to Michigan to landing this great job that we were just struggling with our own. She's uh, got a history of addiction too. And so she's in recovery as well. We've embraced that together, but we were really struggling a lot with just maintaining what it is to be a parent, what it is to be an individual, what it is to be in love and what it is to try to establish life around all that and cleaning up from the past, what we brought into the marriage. And it was beyond chaotic. And we both were leaning on all the wrong supports, even amidst having such incredible supports here in Michigan. So I had landed this great job with a, a large local nonprofit uh, as their clinical supervisor and absolutely loved the job, the people, the population I served. It was a perfect fit for me. The last I, had, I had really felt that was in the Dominican Republic. So I was really excited. Unfortunately, my addiction was still in full force in that transition because that was always my crutch and it continued to be. And it was gaining ground, honestly, to overcome what was left with my soul. Thankfully, my supervisor smelled alcohol on my breath one morning and confronted me, which led to my involvement in addiction treatment program for professionals here in Michigan. And I've been participating in that Almost three years now, and it's absolutely changed my life was the biggest pain in my rump <laughs> early on very intense programs, so many requirements to to complete the program and uh but I embraced all those and and have found them to be life altering It has absolutely changed my life, my marriage, my relationship with my girls, and reignited a passion to serve others that has led to my engagement on LinkedIn. And launching a, a trilogy series of sharing uh, information about mental health and addiction and wellness to bring awareness to those that aren't familiar with the needs in, in the field. So our addiction together, separately is one thing, but being a couple, I think it's important to consider what you bring to the table together, and our addictions literally almost killed us. Our marriage and anything left of our future was all but gone. Thankfully, with the help of family, trusted friends and some really great counselors, we were able to mend our differences and uh, salvage what was left and create an incredible bond we have today with each other and our kids beyond what I ever thought was possible. And now just opportunity to, that hasn't introduced itself to me since not using that crutch that i always used has absolutely blown my mind brett it like it it knocks on my door at night it falls at my feet it calls me on the phone like opportunity just continues to explode and i'm doing my best to embrace it one of the opportunities we have um, coming up is we're going to be moving to florida an area down there a lot of her siblings like i said they're a huge support and, and most of her siblings live in this area of florida so in south florida so we're gonna be moving to Florida in uh, early summer next year to really be closer to those that are our strongest supports. And uh, I've already gone through the process of completing my licensing in uh, Florida as a licensed mental health counselor, also licensed here in Michigan, as I mentioned, and then also completed my certification as an advanced alcohol and drug counselor through the process of, of weeding out my own addiction issues. And it has been phenomenal. The the support that we've received in Florida thus far, just reaching out to folks and planning, and the future is bright. I, <laughs> I'm i so excited. You're going to get me ramped up on a whole nother story of where Florida is going to take us, because I have a vision, and I have a passion, and I have absolute belief and confidence that God's going to bring that to pass. So we're really excited. That's really amazing, man. There's so many details as well, you know. It's any given day. There's seven days in a week. So you look at You know, fourteen years. Well, gosh, at this point, twenty years. That's a lot of hours to get through when you're in your toughest of times. And there's a lot of people, even now, man. Just you know, I talk about oh, the last ten years. It's like, man, I'm just trying to get through today, Brian. And I believe it, and it's real.
0: So I'm I'm curious, since you're a professional, how do you see the correlation between mental health and substance abuse disorder?
1: I think they are intimately involved with each other and dance in the same room and have meals together on a regular basis honestly uh, it's very common for folks to be duly diagnosed oftentimes when there's addiction you'll be admitted to a hospital for addiction treatment that very often returns a dual diagnosis of you know something like a mood disorder or depression or something uh, of the like because it's the The addiction is what was introduced to you to manage what you didn't understand. And so, as you began to use these substances that, in the moment, were managing what you didn't understand very well, you were creating a whole nother issue for yourself. So, Uh, And that's exactly what I did. I had a lot of mood disorder type things going on when I was younger as well, was diagnosed with bipolar and now I realize that it was all substance induced and I'm not on any medication anymore, but was from the time I was 15 till I was 42, (laughs) 45 now. So going through this process with the um, addiction treatment program uh, for professionals here in Michigan, it's helped me realize a lot of that but that's really kind of the 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 treatment model you know you have folks come into these programs and oftentimes they are so discombobulated with with addiction and all that is trying to sort through their own lives that it's really difficult to find a baseline and understand exactly what are the issues here and that oftentimes does translate to wow we don't know if it's addiction and we don't know if it's a mood disorder so you have a dual diagnosis and that's exactly what landed Um, on my file until I was 42 and was able to realize that without substances in my life, all the other issues sort themselves out.
0: So do you think that we need to revamp the system of how we diagnose people, or what do you think the answer is for that?
1: Absolutely. You know, in the field of mental health and addiction, it is the only medical-oriented field that does not look inside the body before diagnosing. We accept what the patient reports, and if a patient is in a moment of crisis, in a moment of conflict, in a moment of uh, disorientation, or or, um, addiction, or whatever the case may be, their report is only true to them in that moment. You 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 do another uh, interview or an assessment within weeks, and you very possibly may receive a completely different report or altered in some ways that would overall change the diagnosis. So it's very difficult in our field to diagnose solely off of report from the client. Although there are assessment tools and screening tools and things like that, but that still is leading back to what the client is reporting because we're conducting an interview with these tools and assessments that we have, but we're still going off the information they're they're giving us. And I'm a big supporter of uh, Dr. Daniel Amen with Amen Clinics. He's worldwide really, but operates largely in the United States. And he's come up with It's been around for quite some time, but he's really progressed the research study uh, efforts in this area of um, brain spec scans. And he's been able to recognize that a brain spec scan looks different for someone with ADHD than it does with someone with bipolar, than it does someone with an addiction. And the brain spec scan literally lights up areas of blood flow in the brain. So if there's a lower area of blood flow in the brain, that says something about someone's condition. He's done brain scans of hundreds of thousands of people over the entire globe over a period of uh, like 20 or 30 years. I don't know the exact numbers, but all to say that his, his evidence found is extremely stable and convincing. And he has, the programs that he offers with Amen Clinics is completely, and totally motivated by those scans. And they create treatment plans and support networks around a family and an individual based off of what they find from those brain spec scans. And they have found unbelievable success with doing so. And very often, I think it's like 85% or something of the folks that he sees are on medication for diagnosis that don't even exist, or the medication is all but ineffective at treating what is actually the condition.
0: Wow, that's a really high number of people that are on medication that don't need to be.
1: Yeah, it's baffling. It really is baffling. And there's so many other approaches that could address any given condition. Oftentimes we go with chemical because chemical is going to have the most immediate effect, and we all know that. But so there's some of these other, with the right support systems in place, these other less immediate effects can be even more long-term effective if supported in the, the interim to establish a baseline. You know, So it's unfortunate that his approach is not yet really embraced or received by insurance carriers. So that's one of the biggest issues is that insurance is not recognizing his approach as something that's as effective as what exists, I guess you could say. so. It's a lot of times comes out of pocket and it's, even though he gives extremely reduced rates for his services because he wants to help folks feel better, it's still very expensive and so very difficult for a lot of families and individuals to afford.
0: So what would your recommendation be for someone that thinks they might have some mental health issues as well as substance abuse disorder? Would, would you suggest going to multiple doctors or psychiatrists how would you how would you go about approaching this whole thing?
1: Yeah, good question. So if it were me and I was treating the individual, obviously I, I feel that having a licensed, trained professional in the field to address what you're dealing with makes good sense. You know, I'm not gonna take my car to get an oil change to the florist, right? I go to the florist for flowers. That's what I do. And so it makes sense when you are struggling with addiction or mental health issues that you seek out a licensed trained professional to help you and support you in, in the transition of figuring it all out and restabilizing all that is you. And so with folks that are dealing with addiction and and mental health issues, sometimes that's not clear because they haven't entered treatment yet. So my first effort with any client is to establish a baseline. What is what are we dealing with? What is real and what is created? If we can get an individual to stop using That is paramount. That's crucial. Super critical early on. Get the substance use influence to stop. So we can get a better idea of what exactly the baseline is. So then we can figure out is a lot of this mental health symptomology caused by the substance use? Or is it purely mental health? So if you remove the substance use influence, you get a better idea of what's left and what actually needs to be treated while also understanding that we need to shield from the substance use returning. Sometimes, you know, like in my case, a lot of the mood disorder type symptoms that I was experiencing early on in my life were all triggered, uh, substance-induced. So once I removed, gosh, forever later, (laughs) that's a tough one for me to swallow, but (laughs) forever later, you know, at 42, I finally realized that removing those substances from my life Caused all the the mood disorder and the mental health symptomology to disappear. Stability reintroduced itself to my life once I just cleared out the the influence of the addiction that had been there for so long.
0: On the patient's end, what would you suggest they do? I mean, obviously, you said to try to remove the substances to help create a baseline. Is there anything else you can suggest? Diet, exercise, anything along those lines?
1: Well, that's that's tough because if you got um. If you've got an addiction present, obviously what you eat and what you do on a daily basis, exercise, et cetera, is absolutely always gonna be dictated by your addiction. It will tell you, it, it attacks the pleasure center of the brain and literally um, hijacks control of who you are. And it, it determines how you function in relationships, how you interact with others, how you take care of yourself, what you eat, when you eat, how you sleep, whether or not you take a shower. I mean, it, it literally has that much control because you are so focused on that next fix that all those other things become secondary. So my primary suggestion, my primary recommendation would be you got to stop using. You know, uh, If you can't do that on your own with the supports that are currently in place, then you need to get into a treatment program that pulls you out of those triggers so that you can clean your system out. You can um, get yourself back to a baseline. So medical professionals, counseling, mental health professionals that are there at that facility can put eyes on what exactly that baseline looks like and then determine what we need to do to maintain that what healthy is for you. Um, and that may include some medication uh, regimen. And that's another benefit of being in a treatment facility is that you've got medical professionals on site uh, 24-7, and it's a great opportunity to receive some medications that'll help regain stability and balance in your life and have a bit of a a trial with those while you're at the treatment facility um, because they're going to give you the meds and inevitably you're going to be there during that initial period of time when it's introduced and they get a chance to observe and to get your feedback on is it working is it not working what side effects all those sorts of things so you don't have to go home and go through that experience on your own you have those there in real time Uh, Supporting you through that so that there are any adjustments that need to be made, they can do that before they release you with uh, hopefully a good discharge plan that includes a lot of supports to continue um, in recovery.
0: I think that's a lot of great information. I can only speak from my personal experience, but like you were talking about, when I was in addiction, I didn't care about diet, exercise, any of that stuff. My entire life was just consumed with using. So, yeah, I mean, that makes sense. And, you know, here I am coming up on 6 years and I'm just now getting to the point where I'm like, "Oh, maybe I should uh maybe I should care about what I'm putting in my body." I think back in June I started exercising regularly. Like it's taken me 5 years since I got clean to to start implementing some of these things in my life. So yeah, I mean that makes sense that that that's not going to be one of the first things you do. I mean, obviously you got to get rid of the drugs first.
1: Yeah. And it really is a a holistic approach, though. It's it's something that it's a tagline in, a, in, a, in my field and oftentimes spoke of, but I don't often see organizations truly take a holistic approach, but that includes um, what you're putting in your body, the influences on the outside, external and internal, everything that's included literally in your existence. For instance, I just read a research study by Dr. Amon that was released um, a while back, but he posted it uh, on LinkedIn, and I was reading about it. And it was a a research study where they had folks that would come in, and they'd have a simulation, a computerized simulation of a balloon. And they hit a a button to blow the balloon up. And every time the balloon got larger, they got this uh, fake money that they could spend Somehow it's not actual money, but, you know, it's kind of points like a video game, right? So they would hit this button and the balloon would get bigger and bigger. And the the goal was to blow the balloon up as large as you could without popping it. Then you win the game and you get the money. If the balloon pops, you lose all the money that you had gained up to that point. And they gave one group a certain dosage of acetaminophen before they started the task. And they did not give anything to the control group. And they found that the group that received the acetaminophen, which is in over 600 medications on the market right now, folks that received the medication inevitably were more impulsive in pushing that button the one extra time that popped it and lost them all the money. And those that did not take the acetaminophen inevitably were more conservative on what they did with the button and blowing up the balloon and ended up taking drastically larger amounts of money, quote money, home from the video game, you know, the control group did rather than those that were received the acetaminophen. So I say all that to say it's unbelievable how much stuff is in the things that we put in our body, good, bad, and ugly, that we're not aware of on a regular basis, and how hard it is to Be mindful of that. We're people. Life happens, and it's really difficult to track all that stuff, but so incredibly important because over time, it does influence holistically who we are.
0: Yeah, I'd never thought about it from that kind of perspective. That's a very interesting study.
1: It's fascinating.
0: (laughs) Well, usually towards the end of the episode, I like to give the guests an opportunity just to share whatever's on their heart or whatever they'd like to.
1: Yeah, so I was thinking about that, actually. Brett, it's interesting that you bring it up, um, just generally my heart, you know. And I have found through my own story, my own journey, that my life has been completely about pursuing God. Not because I'm a great guy or I'm a, a holy being or this is not about me. It's about, maybe I should rephrase it, it was about God's pursuit of me. You know, I accepted Christ when I was 13. And from that point on, I can look back now and recognize so many places in my life that he was chasing me when I didn't want to have anything to do with him. And when he was white knuckling me and saying, I'm not letting go, you're mine. And I realize now that my life for me was about that relationship, the pursuit of that relationship. And I know now with almost three years clean that, if I continue to pursue that one relationship in my life, I am beyond confident that literally every single aspect of my existence will fall into place and work to my favor. And on some level, and that's not always monetary and you know none of the the worldly stuff. I'm talking about just just good balance and good energy and health and those sorts of things um, that that make up the full picture, the holistic picture, right? I was just thinking about yesterday, and it was just a great reminder, just going through this process, jotting down some notes and even sharing them with you, just a great reminder to me, hearing my own story as I speak it, that pursuing him for me is critical to tomorrow because today's decisions create tomorrow's reality. And if my decisions today don't include him, my tomorrow's reality absolutely won't either.
0: Well, in closing, would you like to let the listeners know how they can get in contact with you or or how they can follow your journey?
1: Yeah, absolutely. You can find me on LinkedIn, Brian Wall. That's probably the easiest way to find me. I'm most active on LinkedIn. I have a trilogy series there that I mentioned earlier that I post on Monday, Wednesday, and Friday, Monday. I share uh, information and awareness about Mental Health Monday. Wednesday is Wellness Wednesday, so general holistic wellness type issues, thoughts, information, awareness, that sort of thing. And then on Friday is Phoenix Friday, which is specifically designated for those uh, topics on addiction, and I do that every week, and you're welcome, if you're on LinkedIn, you're welcome to, to follow my hashtag, it's hashtag Be Real with Brian. and the trilogy is called Real Talk With Brian, and feel free to follow the hashtag. And then, you know, when I post, I'd love to hear your comments and your thoughts as well. Uh, that's the, the funnest part. I I post things and then, you know, I, that's kind of just what you do. <laughs> you know, it's like being and being having a master's degree and everything, I've just kind of gone through school all my life and always kind of been good academically. So I can post the stuff, you know, but I really enjoy the engagement and having conversation, real conversations with folks about the topics that I I post. So I look forward to Hearing from those that choose to uh, follow hashtag Be Real with Brian on LinkedIn.
0: Awesome, man. Well, thank you again for coming on the show and sharing your your journey and some of your knowledge about the field of mental health and addiction, man. I really appreciate it.
1: You're very welcome, brother. I appreciate you as well for having me and um, hoping to stay in touch.
0: Brian, thank you so much for coming on the show today and being so honest and vulnerable and sharing your story with us. I would encourage you guys to check out his LinkedIn profile and look at the Trilogy series. You've been listening to Recovery Survey. If you got anything out of today's episode, I'd ask you to please leave us a five-star review and share this episode with a friend. If you'd like to get in contact with us, you can find us at recoverysurvey.com. You can listen to all of our episodes on the website as well as connect with us on social media where you can get previews for upcoming episodes.